grateful. Uh, thank you for asking me, Vicki. Uh, well, I, you, you, oh, see, I told you Steve Ferroni was going to come. Look at this. Oh, my God. He did it again. Oh, my God. He does that every time. I know that you're doing this under, I don't want to say duress, but under a little bit of pressure because we have a mutual person. Stuff. So, uh, Tom, tell me how you met Snuffy because he doesn't even remember. Snuffy is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. You know that. And uh, he is a great musician and a great, uh, whatever it is, scoring shows. And But he's a, he's sober a long time. And he's been very uh, helpful to people like myself, you know, very kind. And, and I met him, I would say, over 30 years ago. Oh, wow. You know, he's always been a guy that's of service to everyone and set such a great example. Very sweet guy, very talented. When you know his kindness, you're like, uh, and then you see his rock and roll stuff, especially back, you know, you know, when <laughs> yes. famous girlfriends. Uh, he had Laura Brannigan and <laughs> he had Rosette. We did used to share about that, but he's a <laughs> talented guy, very kind. Uh, he's beloved in uh, my world. And uh, I'm just happy, ha anytime we get a call from Selfie Walden, it's, that's a good day. And uh, he taught, said uh, that it, that uh, his gal friend, uh, Vicky had a show and I go, I'm in. He goes, I don't know if you do interviews anymore, which makes me think he doesn't watch me. But I said, yeah, that'll be fun. And then I doubt researched you and uh, what you do here. And, and you have a lot of uh, great musicians on here older gentlemen like myself. <laughs> so and, uh, you're, you're, you're quite a character yourself. So I am honored to be here. And oh, you are the sweetest. And, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, um, your, um, your divorce. So uh, your divorce party podcast, um, which you're able to do during this strike, which we'll talk about. Um, so ha did that come about as a therapeutic thing, how did that how did that happen? Very therapeutic, you know. I uh, I haven't had I've had one date in six years, you know, and uh, and uh, I was at picking up the kids at school in the parking lot. That's where you find your dates if you're. You know, <laughs> I see a woman with kids similar age, you know. Uh, most of them are much younger than me, but uh, my kids are ten and seven. I'm sixty four, but you're like, if I ever have a date, I want to be with. And you watch the moms, you're like, oh, she's amazing. And uh, and so there was a, a woman, and she said something nice about me on the radio, which is always good. And <laughs> we had a lunch, and she was going through a divorce. Well, it's my Monica uh, Casey, who's my co-host on the show. And uh, she was going through a divorce from a guy from CSI. And it was public, you know, and I had my thing, which is still uh, going on, of course. But we got together, we talked about what, we were dealing with and like having our little support group there mm -hmm. and it was uh it was very cool and so uh she she's on the other side of it with her ex by the way as soon as she told me as soon as i saw who her ex was i looked him up on the internet there's a picture of him without a shirt on i'm like okay i got no shot no shot <laughs> but you are looking fine we're going to talk about that too i do look fine but uh, but she what she did was she kind of went through this and the, the divorce court, all this stuff. And then she had a, uh, her friends threw her a, a divorce party and uh, and she did everything she wanted to do. They went to say karaoke, 
She got drunk. She threw up. She made out with a guy. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, uh, but, but it sounded like a lot of fun and she had, you know, and so she's been sort of a divorce Sherpa for all of her friends. She, she was the first person in her group to get divorced. And, and, uh, a lot of times, you know, people love you, but when you get divorced, they're, they're like, oh, I, that might be contagious. I don't want this. <laughs> and so you know, I did divorce four times, so I'm an expert at it, but she, uh, it, it was telling you about this, uh, divorce twice for me, by the way. Okay, well, you're you're getting there. <laughs> uh, but, and, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be great if people, you know, you, you got these weddings, these elaborate weddings, you know, you get bar mitzvah, you always say, what if divorce party became a part, like, of the recovery from, and then moving on? Because how do you know <laughs> you can move on, especially when you have kids, you're always thinking, well, I'll wait till they grow up. Well, but when my kids are grown up, I'll be dead, but... <laughs> And I tell you, she uh, he has a lot of interesting friends. You know, I brought on some friends that are comics or writers. And then, like this week, we had a a Reiki master. Is that how you say Reiki? And that woman, that that conversation, you know, so it was great for me to understand because my thing is always like, you know, my sobriety is number one, my mental health, uh, which you got to do if you have kids. You have to be. It's like when an airplane loses its pressure. You're supposed to put your uh, oxygen on first, then. Right. And, you know, I, I'm also trying to figure out how you get on the other side of uh, of a uh, divorce uh, when the other person, you know, you're power, we're powerless. And it keeps going. And I just, I, I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, we had a, a toxic marriage and a toxic uh, six-year uh, divorce custody thing. And how do I get still, you know, because you lose your creativity you lose everything because you kind of focus on this thing, and and the 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 woman was very cool about that and, and things. We had a high conflict divorce uh, therapist. We've had uh, divorce attorneys. We had some very funny people. Uh, <laughs> and what I, I'm shocked how honest people are. They, they, it, they, what do you mean? Well, they they share their even if they're on the other side of it and things, or even if they're in another relationship. They share very honestly about what it was like and what, you know, I think people tend to go, okay, that's over. I'm not, I, I never want to talk about it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to look at the great things, but I think it's helpful to also go, here's the mistakes I made. Here's the mistakes that were made in front of the children and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I thought of you because one, uh, one uh, woman, uh, she was married to a guy that does what Stuffy does. And they got married young. And, and then he had this job where you have to be away. You know, back in those days, you had to be in a studio all the time. Right. TV and movies. And, and, and then he decided, and he was, she, they had a kid, and she basically raised the kid get by herself because this guy naturally has to get his career going. Right. A lot with people. And then he decided he, he met another woman. And she, she was so funny because... Um, She's like, now she get everything I did was preparing, you know, setting it up for her. And uh, it was very funny and very true. And I think a lot of men in the day, back in the day, things are different now. But the thing was, okay, the man's going to go out there and conquer the world. The woman stays home with all the kids, takes care of all that stuff. And then everything will be fine. And everything is not fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel, I always feel sorry for guys 
that don't because it's not just that that they're you know they get out of the work or whatever but the experience of being a father the day-to-day minutiae is amazing and you don't get that you you go and get one shot at this the kids are only young for a certain amount of time and uh and to think well when they're 25 i'll come back you know so i i feel uh, sorry for people that men and women that don't get to experience that because you're really taking this fathering very seriously i can see that all over the place i've never been more comfortable around human beings than i have my kids and and isn't that lovely i would say i wanted to be a father and it took a long time to get there uh but it's a good thing i did because it's it's on it's really not uh and i've done a lot of cool stuff vicky i've done uh, a lot of movies and this and that and stuff and uh, uh, I partied, I've done whatever, and uh, but but it it's over, and and uh, but it's okay. I like, you know, everything about this. It's hard sometimes. How, how are your kids handling? I, I love that you're so thoughtful, Tom. You know, this is not the first time we're in the same room. So the first time we were in the same room was when um, was when Shep Gordon had Supermensch. And you were interviewing him. Do you remember that? Uh, Shep Gordon, what a there's a great human being. And Shep Gordon now has children, and yes. he's got one uh, uh, young son. I mean, he always dreamed about uh, being a father. Now he was a he's been a he's taken other people's kids and take took care of them their whole lives, like a grandfather or whatever, uh, when their parents had issues. Um, and he always wanted to be a dad. And, and uh, we made Super Rich. It's about uh, the, the legend of Shep Gordon. It's about, it's a documentary about Shep and it's his crazy, interesting life. Mike Myers directed it. Mike and I known Shep a long time. And so it was a big honor that uh, my last ex-wife and I got married at Shep's house. So that's in there, unfortunately. And Shep got married to a woman. And uh, he went through a thing where you know, they're going to have kids and, and everything. And then she said, I've decided not to do that. And she did some other shenanigans. And so uh, I, it, you know, I think he felt like, well, it's over by my window, but he met this new woman and they've got, I think he's got a four-year-old son perhaps. And he is, you know, loving it because he's all focused. You know, he's a big rock and roll manager and all this stuff. Uh, he still works with Alice Cooper. They're both, they're ridiculous together, but in fact, <laughs> travel around all this stuff and now they're up there uh living in maui and he he just loves the everyday you know it does keep you young too and i heard his wife they might want to have another kid and uh but he is you know he's killing it and he's 10 years older than me that gives me hope <laughs> well this this is crazy tom when i i interviewed shep um uh, i had a podcast at the time and it was on the radio and i interviewed him and the next day i was in in L i was in la he was in hawaii in maui and the next day i was in nobu in new york and he was sitting at the table behind me oh yeah that, that's 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 kind of crazy stuff right there yeah as you know his house about valley is a central everybody goes there to see chef and he has Little dinner parties. He loves cooking. He loves food. He and he has a restaurant that Snuffy and I were supposed to go to Maui in October. We just changed the the plans because of what's going on. But yes, he has a restaurant, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he's first person I called when I heard what was going on there to see mm -hmm. 
how he was. He lives on the other side of Maui, but you know, there's going to be a point. I mean, it's just awful what happened. Awful. But uh, there's going to be a point because tourism pays a lot of their bills there. And so right now they're in the in the middle between don't come here. We got all this. Right. We got it. And then like, but come back, come back. And, uh, you know, I, Maui's my favorite place in the world. And, and mm. so when it's appropriate, the kids and I will go back there. Okay. But now the reason that I brought this up, Tom, is because that was in 2003. 13, I think it was that you were that you were doing that interview. And do you remember it? It was in a movie theater and you were interviewing Shep and Mike was there. Mike Myers was there and it was a big audience. And we were SAG after people in there, actually might have even been before the merger or I don't remember. But in any case. You. Um, had a hard time that that day. you were very different, you were in a different place. And a, maybe a little, maybe there might have been some substances involved at the time, uh, and um, and the audience was giving you a hard time. What, what, and what town were we in? We, we were in L.A. Okay, okay. We were in L.A. But you were a very di the reason I bring this up is not to to say something negative, but because I'm so incredibly impressed with who's sitting before me today. You are a completely different human being in every way, shape, and form than that man that I saw before me 10 years ago. Still time, but- uh... <laughs> No, not only, not only in your demeanor and in your attitude, but your look. Okay, so how did you lose? How well, did you- uh, Number one, I just want to tell you, my uh, sobriety journey has been a, a journey. And some of us uh, uh, relapse as a part of our, Story. Yes. I don't want to relapse and, and die, which could happen at any any time. But uh, before I met Stuffy, I had gone to rehab, 1989. I haven't drank since December 10th, 1989. And that was my sobriety date. Ah. I was 19 years sober. Oh. And I always, I got cocky because I was like, uh, I'd sponsor guys that were opioid heroin guys. And I'd say, no, no, that's not my thing. My thing is cocaine and booze. So I don't understand. He wrecked my motorcycle out of PCH, 19 years sober, and I, I broke my back. And I remember the ambulance came, I could hear it coming, and, and uh, the guy gets out, he said, are you in pain? I said, yeah. And he says, not anymore, give me a shot of fentanyl. And I, oh. I remember my mind went, that's, no, that's what I need. That's, I was wrong, I need this. And then it by 20 years sobriety, I was gonna take a cake and I went, oh, I'm still on pain medication. This is like a year and a half. I'm not sober. Um, and I ate the cake, of course. But then I started. <laughs> over. And uh, uh, you know, the problem was that I had I had to have several uh, uh, surgeries. And so I would be on, I'd be taken off uh, opioids. And then all of a sudden, I had to prepare myself to come back on. And whatever the thing is. Uh, and then I ended up going to, you know, uh, uh, back to rehab for that. And then about seven and a, seven years ago, I was, uh, I went to, I needed uh, money, of course, I still do, of course. And I did this uh, show, this reality show that was in South Africa. And, and it would only be shown in Australia. It's like a get me, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I, uh, they, they, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to talk to my kids. By now, my kids were born. They were, I think my, my son was born in 2013 and, and uh, uh, my daughter in 2015, but needed the money, tried to make the marriage work still at the time. And, and uh, what it was is you get an airplane and you get, uh, you parachute out in the middle of the world's largest game reserve by yourself with nothing. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, there's no contact the outside world. There's no, and I remember thinking, you know what I need? I need to get some uh, Xanax. Uh, I need to be my own, and I need to take just in case I get, you know, and again, try to be my own doctor. And I, and I said, to, I need to get 90 because who knows how long I'm going to be stuck in Africa. Anyway, <laughs> Benzo became my thing. And then uh, a month after I got back, I went to uh, knock on wood, my final rehab to deal with that. And, you know, uh, uh, getting off of, of Coke or uh, uh, opioids and, or alcohol, I mean, it, you could do that. Uh, those all seemed easier to me than benzos because that was a tough, weird thing to get off of. Have you seen Painkiller, the, the new, um, we're not supposed to talk about this, but I'm not promoting it. I'm just as a, as a, um, but anyway, it's Matthew Broderick, and it's the new one. Um, Michael Keaton did that great one a couple of years ago. A buddy of mine, Danny Strong, did Dope Sick, which was a uh, Which was, yes, fabulous. Is um, it like that? Uh, I have to watch uh, Painkiller. I have to catch up. But I watched every episode of that one, and it was just like that. Wow. Very, you know, and I grew up in Iowa. You know, my sister... My younger sister was the biggest drug dealer in America. Like so, I hear meth. Meth was her drug of choice, huh? Meth was her documentary series. <laughs> and people would ask me, "Was it embarrassing that your sister was a drug dealer?" And I'd say, "Not when I was doing drugs, it wasn't." It was <laughs> and she called me Thanksgiving, and, and by there were seven of us kids. So dad, raised by a single dad, and uh, she had this big leather purse with her gun and her drugs in it. And she'd get, come in and kind of do like this. And we'd all go out to the garage, get up, go out the garage. And she'd say, well, uh, uh, what do you want? And I'd say, well, what do you got? And she'd say, everything. And I'd say, that's what I want. I want it. <laughs> and so uh, she's doing good now. She's been out of she went to prison twice. And, and uh, mm. doing good, though, got to, you know. And so knock on wood, we're all doing well. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that that uh, uh, dope sick and uh, I'm sure painkiller. So Tom, what was your bottom this time? What, what got you to, how did you get, how, what got you there? What got you to get off of them? Oh, of each thing? Well. Um, of this thing specifically, that was so hard. First was the booze. I had moved to LA and I was getting married to Roseanne and I was writing on the show. And uh, I remember when I first moved here in 1988, and Roseanne and I used to, I noticed her since 83, I was 23, we used to go around and do comedy together, a party together, and I moved out here, and, uh, you know, first day I met a drug dealer that sold quantity, and I thought, that's the way to get coke, instead of <laughs> a little bullshit. I'll say, <laughs> anyway, uh, after uh, a, a few months, uh, Roseanne uh, said, hey, uh, do you do this all the time? And I, I said, yeah, you do drinking your drugs every every day i go yeah pretty much she goes you that's bad i go is it she goes no i thought you only did it when we got together every couple months or whatever i go no i do it every day and then and and at that moment i was like i gotta hide that from her i mean i didn't go this is bad i should quit doing this i went 
Okay, now I'm not, I'm gonna have to hide that. <laughs> the lonely business, you know, I, I I haven't done drugs in front of people since 1988, maybe or 87, or drank in front of anybody. So all of the my wow, this was very by myself, and all the other stuff was by myself because I couldn't let that secret uh, get out. And um, you know, it's a hell of a way to live. I'll tell you that it's it's exhausting and. Uh, complicated and, and uh, very sad and I'm grateful that today I'm not living like that. Tom, do you, well, I was talking about this with some addicts today about, um, I'm a sober woman, about, about trust and honesty and about um, getting sober kind of gives us the permission to finally get honest and real. Was it hard for you to get real? Are, are you able to be real now? Are you able to to straight talk? I think I am. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's this is my best seven years of sobriety I've ever, you know. Uh, uh, I think I realized, uh, you know, I looked at my kids too, and, and that was very helpful to go. Uh, and I knew the marriage was, and I was like, I got to be here. I've got to, from this day, I've got to do. It was, it was rough at first, you know, it was rough a day at a time, like we, we say, and then all of a sudden you get a year and you go, things are better at five and six. And, and uh, you can feel your brain uh, uh, healing, but you also got to be aware that this disease is tr still trying to kill me. There is mm -hmm. lurking around. And, uh, you know, I have my hands full with the kids and all the stuff and all the legal stuff. And, uh, but, but there's times, you know, I, I'm, I go work on the road and I, really made you make a conscious effort to run into some fellow uh, uh, recovering people, which by the way, they're, when I used to do drugs, I thought everybody did drugs. Now I think everybody's in recovery. <laughs> <laughs> next, next week I go down to uh, uh, Georgia and speak at the uh, sc School of uh, Addiction there. It's a, it's a great organization. And you know, you go around, you've had the, the, uh, the opportunity to make these speeches, share your stories. You know, there's some people that got had, you know, they got arrested like my sponsor now. He got arrested once 40 years ago and never did drugs again. And uh, uh, and there are people like that, you know, smart people. But there's other <laughs> have, uh, you know, we have a different journey. And and I, I will say this to people that have had relapses. I mean, there's nothing braver than when you're sitting at a 12 step meeting and someone, you know, you go around, I got 42 years, I got 30, whatever. And a guy goes, I got four days. I mean, that stops you. That honesty, and, and I, you just, it takes your breath away with somebody because it's hard to go back. Yeah. I mean, you got to do it. it you know, it, it's harder to go back than it is to stay sober. But you got to do it. You got to understand no judgments. And, and I think what happens is there's people in people's lives that mean well, that are not addict alcoholics, that don't, you know, they're, they're and, and a couple things happen when you truly get sober. One, it messes the whole, if you've been together the whole time and uh, drugs and alcohol are a part of this and you're sort of the bad guy, they're the good guy, you know, that when all of a sudden you get it together, that throws the whole relationship off. That's why. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and it's not their fault, but they don't know what to do. They, they, you know, they think I've got no job. I've got to still be the good guy versus the bad guy. And it's easy for people like us to feel like they're the bad guy. And if you have re relapse uh, in your story, um, 
the most important thing is obviously if you could stop shaving yourself because that's number one that voice constantly but uh then you get to a point where people in your life that shame you mm-hmm. you start recognizing it you go well, i can't i can't be a part of that and and this is even if you've done damage to these people by you know their fears about you dying or whatever there has to be a point where where you go okay it's not this isn't yeah and you don't have to prove because there's some people you could never prove that you got it together that you're sober that you're this and that because they're much more comfortable the other way but mm-hmm. you know and uh and uh and that's the most important thing and you know that's what took what took you down this time what what got you to because it's you sound like a sober man to me today what, what how did you make was it the kids and and you know like i i got sober my daughter was um four my son was eight um what what i was a late late to the party what so what 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 made this the day? What made that the day? Okay, I'm doing this today. Well, I I had a uh, uh, you know, I was you know, crazy and uh, had a, but but I had to go to work and I had to, so I got up early in the morning to go film something. But I knew walking out the door like I had a thing with uh, their mom and she was aware, you know, it wasn't. But I I knew that this was. There was something different in my head. There was this, uh, I'm going to get in the car and go drive it out to work here and shoot this movie. Uh, it makes no sense, but uh, but then it's 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 over. Something changed, and I'm going to have to work every day with it. You know, my kids were small, and you do feel badly because uh, whether you're not sober in front of your kids twice in their life or whatever, I think they, they know, they know, you know, I, I can remember, and this is after I was sober, my daughter, I'd done a, a, a Music Cares, hosted a Music Cares concert, and feeling pretty good about myself, came home, and the kids are upstairs asleep, and I'm in my office, and all of a sudden, my daughter appears. She's 18 months old, and uh, she's like, Daddy, come to bed. I go, hey, I'll tell you what, you go back to bed, and I'll be up there in five minutes, and uh, I went back to my computer, and I look, and she hasn't left. She's staring at me, and I realized that this this little human knows everything about me. She knows every lie. I didn't. <laughs> she knew it. So we went upstairs, and then that at, at that point, <laughs> it is about being present. You can be sober, not be present. But mm-hmm. at that point, I don't say it's going to be five minutes. We I will say, what do I really need? I need fifteen minutes, and then they put me on a timer. You know, because it's easy for me to get distracted but th- when you say five minutes okay but it works for them too because when they come home to school i'm like All right, uh what let's do the homework uh 15 minutes i go okay i'm putting you on a timer right here when it goes off uh we got to do the homework so it, you you hold each other accountable to those kind of things also do they do they know that you are now a sober man and that you weren't before do they know that they're aware that i have an allergy to alcohol and and uh they're aware that I have a lot of sober friends and I, and they'll give me, I'll say, man, I need to do this meeting guys with my sober friends. And they'll, you know, they don't, they get, they like my time a lot, but they'll usually, my son will go, Quinn, he needs that for his mental health. Your dad. <laughs> it's really true. And when I go like, this is my sober meeting today. And I got to say, I just love it. But when I go, 
a, a period of time and you get you know i bet i could get things pretty dark you know dark uh depressed uh, uh you know the mm-hmm. anytime you dealt with custody stuff or you dealt this stuff and, and uh uh whatever the problems are financial whatever i it's easy for me to leap to the end okay dead homeless alcoholic right and uh and, and but what i've learned is one thing at a time do one active thing to get there and maybe if you do 20 it will be and and the proof is that that is true for me because mm-hmm. never knock on wood things have never been as i imagined them and it's very satisfying to get up and go well what can i do about this situation okay here's what i'm going to do right now first thing what do i not want to do about the situation who do i not want to talk to what do i want <laughs> I'm going to do that first and then I'll do the next thing and the next thing because you got to be able to sleep at night. And that, and that to me is, you know, keeping on uh, the straight and narrow, not only with not using drugs or drinking, but just kind of uh, the way you live your life. And, and the kids, uh, you know, I've also live an honest life and I haven't always done that. And uh, we get very used to when we have all that shame about the, the drugs, the alcohol, the way we're living, we just, it's so easy to slip into this dishonesty. And a lot of people want to believe, they don't want to hear how we really are. They want to think, oh, everything's great. Everything's great. Oh, good. That's, I wanted to hear that. And so it, 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 you know, I'm lucky. The kids are lucky. I definitely use them at first, but you know, I, there's something I learned uh, in rehab at my first one. And I was only there 30 days, which I didn't recommend saying, but (laughs) because Roseanne had uh broke we were supposed to get married in January of 20 or 1990 God, it's so long and I wrote on the show and I went I I she confronted me about it and but she was kind about it and I got the cab which we have and then like the second day there I, I I my job is to go get the newspaper bring it up to I could see that we were it was in the newspaper. We were broken up. I'd been on cocaine. I wasn't on the show anymore, and the marriage was off. Like that's how I learned about it. And uh, at first, you know, uh, so I was like, "Oh, cripes!" And uh, you know, how your head goes. What do I got to do to fix this? But about the eighth day in there, and this is the thing that saved my life um, many times. The eighth day in there, they start talking about, "Would you consider doing this for yourself?" Because I have tried to get sober for, for women or jobs or whatever, my family. And I'd never considered doing it for myself. Like why mm-hmm. I care about that guy? And mm-hmm. it struck me like, oh, I, I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a picture of myself when I was four. And uh, because this guy, this guy, you don't like. They didn't say, well, then you go, oh, you got to love yourself. Give me, give me a minute. <laughs> but I love that kid. This Oreo kid, man, he had nobody looking out for him. Mm-hmm. And he went through some shit. And he is me. And I've also got to take care of him now. He doesn't deserve to die of, of uh, have this tragic life. And so I use that a lot. And I remember I called Roseanne. I said, uh, listen, I love you. I appreciate you. I understand why we're not getting married, why I'm not working at the show anymore. But I'm going to stay here uh, for myself. I'm going to finish this one. And she's like, oh, we're getting married. And I was, my mind went, my attic mind went, shit, I should have just led with that, not felt it. I should have just lied right away. Like, I'm doing this myself. If I'd have known, I could have manipulated her that way without <laughs> actual feeling of, 
of doing something, you know, <laughs> I would have just said those words, but that has stuck with me uh, a long time and uh, still sticks with me, and especially when you see your children and you uh, uh, see yourself and they get to the age where horrible things happen to you as a kid, you're like, and I think when things happen, when you're, when you're raped or when, when you're a kid or just uh, physical abuse, you, uh, you could get on the other side of it, you know, but uh, uh, like I did, I went back in sobriety and found the pedophile from our old neighborhood. I heard you tell that story. Yeah. 30 other boys came forward. And I remember thinking, that's it. I put that thing and that is dead and buried. Is it? Well, when my son was born and then uh, uh, he started getting to four years old. And I looked at him and I'm like, are you going to be shitting me? Because in the back of my mind, I think I thought, well, maybe I was a bad kid. Maybe I was ugly. Maybe something was up with me, even though I do, I do better. But, I, it, you know, you don't want to think adults would do these horrible things to a kid. You want to kind of, I don't know. And I, I, I looked at my son. I was like, oh, no, I was a baby and he's perfect. And I was perfect. And those things happened. So I had to do, that was why I took the benzos the last Thing. It was like, I can't sleep. I'm my own doctor. I'm going to get some benzos because I can't sleep. I'm having dealing with this stuff. And which, as you know, you can't deal with anything until you, you clear out the, the stuff. But yeah, that was the last, you know, uh, sort of traumatic thing that I got. You get on the other side of it. But, you know, certain things, because you don't want to live with the, in your past. You don't want to fight the same ghosts over and over. And again, especially as a parent, because you got to be present for them. So uh, my thing has always been, let's deal with the stuff that happened when I was a kid, the this, the that, and then that way I could really hyper-focus on my own children and keep my eye out for things and and uh, just give them a you know, lot, bunch of positive attention. You know, Tom, just just for the record, uh, I, my kids were a little bit older than yours when I got sober, and my son is 29, my daughter's 25. She started law school at USC this week. They have absolutely no memory of me being anything but a sober woman and going to meetings and being of service. And, and speaking of being of service and doing all of that, I know you do a lot of that, and you've made that a big part of your life, even when you weren't completely sober, right? You've made that a big part of your life. I want to say this too. There's, I'll tell you another thing. It's, uh, there's nothing more powerful than see another sober man or woman say, my dad or mom has been sober for whatever period of time. We went through some rough stuff, maybe the kid, but they've been sober. That feeling, you see it in the child. And a child may be a, an adult, but mm-hmm. then to say that, because that's not something that happened with me. You know, my mom ended up dying. Of the, and so I'm very grateful about that. I, the thing, another thing that saved my life, I've never stopped going to 12 step meetings, even though I was fucked up. And I didn't, first of all, I got fucked up. Because what was that like? Well, what was that like when you're fucked up and you're in a meeting? I have a broken back. I'm not doing illegal drugs. And it's a good thing uh, I have it. There was a meeting I started at my house 20 or 33 years ago that's still going. And uh, I still don't. To the guys that uh, we still get together and that that, that is saved by uh, life that i continue to go uh, and be with you know and then when i got to a point where i uh, would stop lying to myself and go shit you know and then that you know you just got to do go back and uh the being a service part is very selfish for me because 
I, I've never, uh, and Stuffy walled it, I'm sure you, nobody's been more service than Stuffy, or I'm sure you, I mean, Stuffy's a legend. Let's be Stuffy. Honest. Okay, so so you met at a, at a meeting? Is that where you guys met? I can't remember. It was probably at a meeting, and then he ended up doing music on Roseanne, and uh, but but he had a lot of, there's a lot of people that I respect him with a lot of respect for Stuffy. And then he he helped me, you know, he still does. Anytime I hear from him, his kind voice, and he just has great, solid advice. And I, I was with him through my divorce and through this other stuff. And, and uh, you know, he's he's amazing. But, but being of service, you know, uh, um, that's another thing I never go, man, I wish I wouldn't have taken the time to do that. Like it, my self-esteem, and, and I'm talking about service work within the, the uh, addiction community, but also just in- But you do it out in the world also. I know that you do the Ed Asner poker tournament. You, you do a lot of stuff out in the world as well. I have a, uh, uh, again, it's selfish. I have a heart cap, the biggest heart cap in America for kids with heart defects and heart disease, uh, Cap Del Corazon out of Catalina. Uh, uh, and- I've done 20 years and it's amazing. I did it started before I had kids. And, uh, you know, I would see, I started before I knew I had, I had a heart disease and heart failure. I have several things, cardiomyopathy. And I used to, uh, you know, selfishly, you do get to know the best doctors and you do this. And, and then when I did have kids, I was so grateful that my kids were born healthy and knock on wood, but the camp saved my life. You know, you thought this is dope. Shit, I was out there uh, 15 years ago, and uh, I was in the the med tent. We're out, we have a we're below sea level out there. It's a great place for a heart camp. And our new pediatric cardiologist. I was hanging out with the nurses. All of our counselors are volunteer nurses, and they are the best. They're bad, better than the doctors. They're more fun. They you know because they do that. We do the kids stuff, then we go up on this hill and and do time adult conversations, and they're just funny and. They kill it. And uh, I was in there with them and uh, the new pediatric cardiologist. I, I, I was, uh, I weighed about 320 pounds. I was eating a pork sandwich. I was breathing hearty and sweating. And he looked at me and said, holy hell, have you ever had your heart tested, Tom? I go, my heart is great. It's very fast and loud. I can't even hear the side of the, so <laughs> the he's like, come down to UCLA tomorrow. We want to run you through some tests. And, uh, so I went down there, they do all these tests and uh, shoot some blue nuclear diet and do all these things, which I highly recommend. And they're like, uh, okay, uh, tomorrow you come back in, we're doing a angioplasty, which I wasn't even sure what that was because I had blockage, you know, put some stents in me. And so I told the, the nurses, my buddies, how to go, Big Tommy, that's my cap name, Big Tommy. I go, well, wait, great. Well, sadly, you know, because I wanted them to fall in love with me. And I thought the best way fall in love with you is to feel have her feel sorry for you i go yeah i gotta go back tomorrow uh uh to get uh some stents going back there by myself and they're like we'll show up and eight of them showed up this is no shit and <laughs> lay on the chair by the way do this men or women just go go and do it it's not a big you lay on a table it's laid on this table and they're all behind the class hey we love you big Tommy. you kind of take a picture and all of a sudden my male nurse whips my sheet down and start shaving my balls and i and which is fine that's his job but <laughs> buddy give a brother a fucking heads up on this stuff because there is a rule there is a unspoken rule where you give me a good like hey about 10 seconds your shit's going to be out here and uh 
So, you know, you know what, you, you were 10 seconds with your head under a sheet, you get some fucking blood flowing. But those, uh, those nurses saw it, did ruin it. They, they did not see my show penis. They saw my battle penis. And, <laughs> uh, that's one of our, but it saved my life. It saved my life again and again. I had heart failure uh, three and a half years ago, organ failure. And I woke up at, there at UCLA and there were all the, the guys, the pediatric cardiologists I know from camp and they brought in the best people and uh, figured out a way to get me back up and running. And then you're talking about my weight loss. You say, what's the best way to lose 80 pounds? Well, have a stroke or what? <laughs> like I should have lost, I gained so much weight during COVID. That's my excuse. And uh, the kids were homeschooled and you know, I'd say, well, I don't take my shirt off in front of anybody except my kids. So what is the pressure? But uh, uh, I was giving them a bath uh, January of 2022. And we do a thing where getting kids in the bath is hard. Getting them out is hard. That, that's a whole. <laughs> and it was a school night. And I, they said, can we both get in there together? I go, yeah, let's do this thing. And then I do a thing where I turn around to the door and, uh, and count to 10. Whoever, when I turn back around, is out of the tub first wins. They're very <laughs> So when I turned, I counted to 10, when I turned back around, my right eye felt like a curtain came down, just completely dark. And I, you know, I thought maybe I punched myself in the eye or whatever. I get the kids uh, in bed and uh, and then I go on Google to see what the hell, because I was supposed to fly to Alaska the next day to start this uh, pilot. And I, I was like, I'll just go to Alaska. That's, uh, I'll deal with it up there. It might be a floater, that's what. But then I thought, well, you know, I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm going to stop by the eye doctor on the way to the airport. And they came back and shot some dye at me, like they, and came back and said, uh, you've had a stroke. And I'm like, fuck, because you don't want to hear that. Fuck. I mean, you think about hearing that, but but to hear it, and they're like, you have no, to no paralysis? No, no, but it, but it was a very small, I went right over to UCLA, they do 24-hour stroke protocol and uh they do all this check your neurology check every bit mm -hmm. to see if it's a precursor to something major and uh you know when you're laying there on the table at the er there's a list of strokes one through ten and they say which stroke do you feel like you had it and it was a one a very thank uh, god but but you get up to number seven and it, it shit's happening you know it's like i did that show hot ones on the internet where you're supposed to drink the hot sauce, you eat the hot sauces during your interview <laughs> on chicken legs, and you get up, you think, oh, I got this, I can eat these hot sauces. And then you get to number seven, you're like, holy shit, something is fucking awful. And uh, I'm very uh, lucky, and uh, to had a day to, and then I realized I got to get my shit together. This guy uh, 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 had, I spoke to him uh, at, at Arnold Schwarzenegger's house, uh, Charles D'Angelo, great big muscular dude. And uh, he'd asked if, he, if I'd work, if I wanted to work with him. This is two years before. And he'd give oh. every so often go, I go, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. And then I called him and I go, I'm ready for that. I think I'm going to. And he told me uh, in, in February of 2022, by July of 2022, that because uh, I was, I was going to be working with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, uh, on his new uh, show, FUBAR, which uh, is a Netflix series. Um, which is a little like True Lies, the movie you did get. He goes, I go, he goes, do you have any goals? I go, I'd like to be at my True Lies weight from 1994. Would I do that show with Arnold? I think that'd be fun. 
and uh, and I was actually lighter. You just have, oh. you cannot, in my head, you don't lose 80 pounds. Like I'm not, not on Ozempic or whatever it's called or anything, uh, uh, meth, I'm not on meth or whatever the easy tool, but just by changing the way I ate when I ate. And sticking- Okay, so tell, 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 what, what, what does it look like? First thing in the morning, I get up and do my cardio. And it sometimes has to be very early because the kids- well, What's your cardio? Right, I do an hour on the elliptical. I yeah. have one right there. Okay. Outside, it's so freaking hot. But I do that, and then I can have uh, a, a protein shake that he's created with no uh, calories in it, and some uh, strawberries in it, and uh, I mix that up, drink that. Then you can have that. It was that some almonds, and then at lunch, I got to have a half a Subway sandwich, which to me. One of my fears is I'm not going to be able to, I'll be traveling and I can't find what I need to eat on this, this diet, but you can find a Subway sandwich <laughs> all week. And then in the afternoon, I had a, this uh, dadded light uh, yogurt. Wait, what's, what's your Subway sandwich? Is it like turkey with nothing on it or something? Oh, you have all the stuff on it. You can't have cheese, but I would have that much turkey. Cause you have whatever, and it's on, a, it's on a whole wheat, which I thought was interesting. And, uh, and can you have like, may can you have, you can't have mayonnaise or anything like that. You can have it how it is, mm -hmm. it, uh, 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 but, but you have to stick to it. That's why you have and one bag of baked potato chips. Like that was such a treat for me. Mm -hmm. And then to do the yogurt in the afternoon and then at night have a big piece of chicken and vegetables or fish and vegetables. And then you have to have uh, a all fruit popsicle. I forget the bread. It's a really good bread. Before you go to bed, you can't go, okay, I'm tired. I'm not going to have that thing. You have to eat each thing. There are six times during the day. Wow. And, uh, and you have to weigh yourself every uh, two weeks. And you do a Zoom with uh, Charles every two weeks. He's had, he works with a lot of, there's a lot of fat doctors. So just, which is, my, my men's health doctor is just huge. And he's always like, wow, how did you do it? How did... Uh, I'm thinking about taking this Ozeba or Mal, Mal, whatever. Um, and he's worked with a lot of people. He's out of St. Louis, and you can do this Zoom. I was worried I was going to have to train with him at first, and that is, or meet somebody at a gym, which I, I don't like doing. And I don't mind sweating my ass off here, you know, but uh, it, everything has uh, been good. And then keeping it off, you know, I, I July 4th, I had it off for a year. My, my The way I work before when my son was born i was so big and i saw him being born i was like i gotta i gotta live for this guy and i lost 100 pounds uh but but what i did was the second i got to 187 and a half i'm like that's over and i'm gonna and just started you know uh, whether consciously or subconsciously and uh it's something i've done in my life where i've got became very focused on something and then hit my goal you know, it's like a wrestler or a boxer where they hit their weight and then they start gorging. And so then it comes back at, uh, uh, you know, uh, slowly but surely. But, but, you know, my mental health, doing that cardio, man, and staying on this thing. Are you? Do you still eat the same thing every day? I don't. Uh, I don't have the Subway. I mean, I'll have a, a, a sandwich. And, and uh, if I, you know, if I get over 205, they'll say, just have salad with a little bit of chicken, let's do, you know, because he wants me below 210, which I, you know, which I like, and uh, holds me accountable. 
but then it'll change up a little bit. But I've never missed uh, my cardio or my shake or my uh, yogurt and uh, uh, in the evening. There has been a couple of times where I had cake on a kid's birthday. I was going to say, have you cheated at all? There's been not a slice of pizza or anything like that? I have, but I've been aware. Okay, this is because the old me would eat the whole cake. And the kids would say, Daddy, you get up at night and you go in the kitchen, which I used to do, and you'll eat our cake or you'll eat, you know. So they were, they were, you know, I put things to say no in case I was, you know, you're tired and you're like, oh, I, I, I can't fight this. And, uh, you know, it's also a good thing to do to show your kids before I can get them to, to uh, uh, get in shape or be super healthy. I had to show them. I, I think in all aspects of your life, you got to, it's much easier to show your kids how to be a good person, how to be kind, how to be empathetic, how, how to, to be healthy when it's you. And I think we grew up in a generation of parents who are like, oh, no, you do this. I am not. I'm going to smoke like my parents smoked, you know, just a shit ton and, uh, and did all this stuff. And we really want the best for you, but we're going to do this other stuff. And right. Let's emulate their folks. It, it's a, I, I grew up, I wanted to be like my dad. He was a very kind, nice man. And my mom was married seven times in our small town, alcoholic, addict, whatever, didn't raise us. And I was your, like, your mom left when you were, when you were. Four. Four. Yeah. And my dad, I said, I'm going to be like him. But as I got older, I realized, oh my God, I'm like, I'm starting to be like her. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah, I left when I was four. My parents were very young. They were 16 and 18, you know, and she didn't want to be a mom. I mean, she, she just said, and she would say stuff like, I'm not maternal. I uh, just want you to know. And, uh, and the way that my relationship with her is, my younger sister, Lori, and Scotty, my dad, when he was 22, he had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old himself. Uh, wow. I'm grateful about that. But my mom was just not, like people in her town called her mom. Like she worked at all these bars and did stuff. And my sister and I, the first booze we ever drank was with visiting our mom or drugs or whatever we wanted. Uh, and uh, she just had this, you know, way, uh, uh, she, I remember she came to visit. Once in a while she came to visit. It was kind of a, it's a big deal. I was sitting there and uh, she goes, oh, you're about to lose a nut. <laughs> what my testicle, I had it. I didn't, I don't know if I had underwear on. And it was just so, it sticks with you. It's so humiliating, but also a weird way to talk from your mom. But that's how she was. And I knew like, she's not a mom. Like I, you Didn't know, she give your sister permission to marry at a ridiculous age? Or she made her do it. I uh, she made her. I when I was fifteen, I moved in with our mom because I was like, "Fuck it, I want to drink, I want to do drugs, I want to grow my hair, <laughs> I want to have no rules." So that's really how it was. Uh, and I, but I knew, like, she's not a mom. She didn't want to be a mom. I, she is what she is, whatever. But my sister is a year younger, Lori. She idolized her even as a kid, small kid. And my dad made one mistake. He he, I'm sure he made other mistakes, but when she would come over just drunk and trashed and inappropriate, he would just laugh. It's in front of the kids, you know. And uh, um, and so my sister had this weird uh, sense of reality, this altar where that's the hero. Uh, even dad thinks she's so funny. And wow. uh, I tried to do with my kids, if, if their mom does something incredibly inappropriate, which has happened with cops, with this, with that, but I, I don't want them to 
feel badly, but I do take a moment and go, okay, now what just happened was not okay. I don't treat people like that. I don't want you treating people like that. I would never let anybody else treat you like that. And then we move on because otherwise the kids think, oh, that this is the way things are supposed to be. But my sister followed me over to mom's. <laughs> she had a perfect life. Like she's just turned 14, great student, great athlete. And then my mom, who is her best friend suddenly, like really, like that, such a weird thing, her drinking buddy, her drug buddy. Uh, my sister was dating a guy that was 22 and she was 14. And so uh, uh, my mom said, uh, hey, I'm giving you three choices. Break up with him, which you're, you're 14. You're like, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> I'm having him arrested. You know, and that's not good. Or three, we're going to Missouri and you're going to marry him. And my sister said, wow. let's get married. So my mom drives him down to Missouri. My sister is pedophile. And they get married. And then the next day, I remember hearing, oh, they're on the way to Missouri. I called my dad. We're trying to figure out how to get out of the highway to find them. Because I just knew this is the worst. And then Bob came home, just wasted. And I go, where's Lori? And she goes, well, she lives with Bob now. Like, her life was over. She, you know, and, and the guy beat her up, and I had to go over there and get her and, and stuff. But once you've been married like that, once you've done that, it's hard to go back to the eighth grade. You know, so she and my mom, you know, became running. Sorry for laughing. That's it's very exactly true. <laughs> and they became running buddies. And. You know, uh, uh, my sister got into drugs, and my sister very intelligent. She was like, well, if I'm going to do drugs, uh, and maybe I'll sell drugs. If I'm going to sell drugs, I'm going to be the best at it because I'm wow. not going to finish school. And then her next husband, she met this guy, Floyd, who was the captain of the Grim Reaper motorcycle gang. This is a big motorcycle gang. Very badass guy. He died in prison, of course. Two of her husbands died in prison. But... Uh, he, uh, she says, well, he's got this network of bikers that go out to the West Coast, go to that East Coast. It's Iowa, Tumble, Iowa, Interstate 81, right through here. Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start this huge business. And it was in the 80s when the economy was fucked. And, and uh, so she started doing this. So then at certain, she, they go out to, she dealt with the Mexican mafia. And you had to buy your chemicals and get them. And then she went, well, wait, too many people are getting arrested, you know. She's like, I will make it. Why am I relying on these other people? I can make this drug. And so they had a big farm. Breaking bad. She was breaking bad. An underground lab. They hired a real wow. chemist. And they used to make their own meth. Now, I knew, you know, uh, my sister uh, would never admit to being an addict. You know, I, I and perhaps I was worse at my, at more obvious. But she said, no, I just, it's a business. But, you know, there's, it is an addiction. Even the business. She, she would drive around town, our small town, with a brand new Jaguar with dealer on the plate. And she did this thing that a lot of, <laughs> she'd buy homes for her friends, you know, like John Gotti. Like, he's great in the neighborhood. And she did a lot of that. Wow. Cops worked for her in our town. Our seventh wow. was the chief of police who hated me, but loved Lori. And uh, they worked for her. And so when they, if you see the Queen of Beth documentary series, you see the DEA guy, the original, he's like, we knew we were coming in. We knew we were going to bring the battery grab. We knew, but we couldn't tell the local cops because they were all working there. So they had helicopters that come in. And, and she ended up uh, going to prison. And, uh, and I supported her 
and got her to great prison, the Martha Stewart prison in West Virginia, if there is a great prison. And then she came back home after 10 years and started doing it again. And that's, wow. you know, I mean, if it's not an addiction, I don't know what the fuck that, that says. But since her, since her last prison term, she moved to a different location, a little bit geography, and she drives a forklift and works very hard. And knock on wood, we're both alive. And so. Wow. Wow. Um, so speaking, since you mentioned uh, uh, her her documentary, I know you have one project that you can talk about that you got a waiver from. We will talk about the strike for a minute, and then and then I'm going to let you go. But underdeveloped. So what, what, tell us about that. The show that I shot last year, uh, uh, it's like a, a you know the office where they mm -hmm. where they talk into camera stuff, but it's about a development uh, studio, like a movie studio, where they develop things. And the different people that do different jobs and it's really appropriate because there's a lot of greed <laughs> like that with the strike and the guy that runs the place is not a good guy i'm in, i'm in charge of the thing and and uh i worked with a lot of very fun actors it was great fun i we got a waiver it comes out the 8th of september streams and why uh, did they give you did they give you a waiver because it was well, it's 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 not affiliated with uh, directly with uh, one of the big studios, but also we signed the agreement, and, and at the time the we had at, we'd asked for eleven percent increase and this and that, and the studios came back with two percent, but we signed the 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 agreement for what it, and we have to stick to it, even if they end up settling for eight percent, we this this show is going to pay everybody, and then. Every studio, when we stream to Amazon and these other places, they have to pay the same thing, or they don't get to stream the show. So, I think that that I uh, that we felt uh, in SAG that this is a way also to put pressure on the big studios. Like, there are people working; they've already agreed to the thing you won't agree to. And uh, uh, I know it's a little confusing, but we got a waiver, and uh, we had shot it before, and so I'm very grateful about that. It's called Underdeveloped. A lot of great people in it. So you have a lot of work that that's about to hit that you can't talk about, but you can talk about the fact that you are doing stand up, right? Uh, yes, and I've always done stand. I mean, I started with stand up, and, and you and I were talking about Andy Kaufman was the first. Uh, Please tell the story. You said you have a great story. When I after high school, I worked on the kill floor of a meatpacking plant for three years. Wow! So I wanted to go to college because I said to myself, if I get to the University of Iowa, they have a stage, a student union. If I could get to that stage, but I have to, to uh, pay for it. And, uh, and then about the third year, I'm like, okay, there, there are people here that have worked here. My grandpa worked at the Meatpacking Lab for like 50 years. And I could see people try to figure out how people survive working here. But it was a good job, especially for my town. And they got married or whatever. And, you know, I had these dreams, you know, and then I was like, I got to quit having these dreams. I'm never going to be in Hollywood. You can't even get to Hollywood from a tub of Iowa. That doesn't even make sense. And uh, I went out one night to our local disco, the jail, <laughs> jail house it was called. Disco got there in like 1983. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I came out of there at the uh, close of time and on the street corner was Andy Kaufman. Like, I, I was just shocked. The guy from Taxi, the great comic, was standing there in a tub of Iowa uh, on Main Street. And I went over and talked to him and he said he'd come to our town because we had a women's wrestling event at our Coliseum. You know, wrestling is huge where I'm from, professional wrestling. 
He went there. He was staying 20 miles away at Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa, learning about transcendental meditation. Uh, and he stayed. Wow. The wrestling show paid the women to stay later to wrestle with him. That's what he was doing. His thing. Right. And the whole audience uh, in school buses to Happy Joe's Pizza. <laughs> I thought that's what I want to do in my life. I want to be. I want to be able to take the audience to Happy Joe's Pizza. But I also realized, oh, he got here from Hollywood. Like there must be a way to do the the return trip. And so it gave me uh, confidence that perhaps I could I could do it. And, uh, and then I ended up getting going to Iowa and, and uh, doing the open mic, doing comedy. And I've always done it. And I, I highly recommend it. And uh, how did you I, I, I'm going to let you go. But how how did you start writing? How did you did you did you study? Did you what did you do? Did like, you just do it? Writers Workshop is a world famous uh, place where yeah the the names of the writers that have come out of there are massively huge and the names of the instructors is world famous and I took some uh, classes I audited some things there uh, but I wanted to just you know I just started writing jokes and maybe they were similar to what I'd heard of Richard Pryor or whoever and uh, uh, but what happened is I'd open up for these real comedians who come down from Minneapolis. And uh, um, I remember one comic, I, I said, I love that joke. I'm going to do that next week. And he's like, no, 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 you have to do your own. And <laughs> is, all my friends, 50 guys, we go in there, we drink Everclear uh, punch, <laughs> Everclear, and they'd all come laugh for me. And everybody get up and leave before the real comedian came. <laughs> and Joe, who's one of the guys I saw, I picketed with at the Roseanne lot last week, uh, uh, he uh, said, hey, uh, if you could get the, your friends to stay for the real comedy show, we will offer you a job at Minneapolis at a comedy club. And I'm like, hell yeah. And so I got a trash bag with my clothes, got on a bus, showed up at that club. And uh, the guy's like, wow. I go, I don't have a car or a driver's license for obvious reason. I've had to live very close to here and I've only got a hundred bucks. And he goes, why did you move here? I go, because I have a job here. He goes, oh, the job is one weekend for $17.50. That's all we, I go, well, shit, I'm here. So I went to the closest bar, got a job as a bouncer and met a waitress that said, we're looking for a roommate. It's a hundred dollars a month and just started, you know, very, very lucky and uh, lived in Minneapolis five years. They had comedy clubs. You could do open bikes. You get all the, met Roseanne there. And, uh, and uh, the thing I learned from Roseanne was I started writing jokes for her. Like her character was so defined. She was such a great comic. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I want you to keep writing jokes for me. And she went on, this is 1983. In 1985, she went on Johnny Carson. And I remember watching it from back in Minneapolis with all my friends, received my buddy Roseanne, and she killed. And she did a couple jokes I'd written. I was like, wow, that's how it works. And then she said, I want to do a show. I want you to come out and write my sitcom because you know my character. And so then I was like, okay, now I'm not a comedian. I am a writer. I could write for other people. And, uh, and then with the second year, they're like, why don't you be on the show? Cause you guys are together. And so I go, oh, okay, now I'm an actor. But I found that I've hired, let's so a lot of people I'd hired from the Midwest to write on Roseanne and other shows. And uh, I didn't know anything about show business. I didn't know. I, so there was another executive producer and I, he would hire old, older time Hollywood writers, people that did it. And I'd hire these new guys, comics. And they, I knew they were funny. I knew they had points of view. And they didn't know how to write, but you could teach them the form of a 
a, a television script. That's mm -hmm. easy to do if you know what you're doing. And then you see these great, well-defined characters on the Roseanne show, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We we uh, we enjoyed it. Um. Uh... I could talk to you all night. I, I thank you so much for doing this. I have enjoyed this so much. You are delightful and, um, and so forthcoming and open. And I, I love the way you father. I love the way you sober. I love the way you're of service um, and to me as well and to, to my audience. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope I get to meet you someday. And thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much, Tom. Bye-bye.